Welcome to another edition of Veza Talks podcast. I'm Mario Milanovic. I'm the host. Tune in as we delve into the digital world of entrepreneurship and uncover the strategies and tactics of successful online business leaders. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome uh, Raphael Hoch-Tetler. Uh, Raphael is the founder and CEO of Devanthro, working to solve aging and creating a solution for humanity to live indefinitely in a much more positive future than most people expect. After spending eight years learning how to build basic musculoskeletal robotic systems used by world-renowned partners such as University of Oxford, Technical University of Munich, and the Chinese University of Hong Kong. The Devonthro team is now building robot, robotics as agile, dexterous, and elegant as the human body, but without its fragility, so that one day we can live as these robotics and stay indefinitely curious. Raphael, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Welcome. Great to have you me. Absolute pleasure. I was really looking forward to this uh, talk. Uh, there's a lot in uh, this bio that I just uh, um, unraveled. I think all the questions are right in there. And, uh, you know, our listeners are going to have a lot of things to uh, think about. So, uh, you know, can you maybe walk us through your kind of your past and where you started? And, you know, as a kid, did you like Superman? Did you like uh, different, uh, you know, video games? What, what was the, the kind of thing that uh, led you into the path where, where you're at? And I'm sure that's, it's an interesting story. So uh, I would say I've always been very serendipitous. Like, I mean, if you would ask someone, what is a lucky person? I've been very, very lucky, like from where I was born in Switzerland, it's a very beautiful country to being not too dumb. I, you know, it's like, so, so I've had a lot of luck and uh, I, I was always very curious. Like I always wanted to see how things work and understand them. Uh, this has always driven me. This was of course also the mandatory a two-year-old picture of me where I tried to build a spaceship and want to fly to the moon. Um, so I was really always like trying to play with technology, try to understand it. Um, but I would say I, I grew up on the countryside in a small village and then moved to a, to a bigger city um, for when I ended my school. Um, and then started studying physics, realized that oh, while it is as hard as I was uh, thinking it would be, it's actually too theoretical for me. And then I finished in computational science and engineering uh, at ETH Zurich. So that's a, it's actually a very cool study. So if you, if you have a child and you think about what, what should they study, that's a great thing to study because it gives you um, an idea um, about very, very powerful tools like neural networks, like all, all sorts of algorithms. And then this idea that this works everywhere in nature. And that's really cool. Like, because uh, understanding that nature is more or less the same everywhere in terms of when you, if you want to simulate its, its interactions, I think that's a very powerful understanding. So that's a great thing to study. And I did, um, and then sort of, I slipped into the whole robotic space and it fit very well because I always um, wanted to live indefinitely. I never understood why there should be an end to life. Um, I found this to be a, an unnecessary proposition. Um, so 
I was thinking about like how what what is the pathway to actually living indefinitely? What do we need to be doing? And if you think about it logically, you will uh, eventually uh, st statistically, even if you're if you can live, if you solve aging, you will eventually get hit by a bus, right? So statistically, you will have an accident at some point in the future, and that's how your life ends, or there will be some malfunction in your body, and that's how you're going to be ending, even if like technically we solve the aging problem. Uh, so really, the only way to actually do this uh, is to sort of do the old philosophical uh, split of mind and body and have a very tight, of course, connection between that, store the mind somewhere very, very safe so the body can do whatever they want to be doing. And then uh, in this right, challenge, so, at the end of the day... Um, before we get into the specifics, which I think are going to be amazing... I mean, I, I'm, I'm a student of actually singularity myself, and I've studied uh, Dr. Aubrey de Grey, very familiar with him, and the Sense Foundation and all that. So um, it's super interesting for me. Um, before we get into that, I want to know uh, about uh, you were building basic muscle, musculoskeletal robotic systems. It's a hard, hard word to pronounce. Can you tell our viewers what that is? So actually, uh, it's it's a very simple idea. It's just very hard to do. Uh, and the idea is, what if you would build robotics body after the image of the best robot robotic body that we know, and that's our bodies, our generally biological bodies. So really, we try to build robots that have muscles and tendons, and that copy sort of the inner working principles of our bodies, and hope that thereby we can build more capable robot, but also in, in use this in a, in sort of in the other direction to um, learn about the human body and, and how to eventually also make a copy of it. Of course, it's a very long way and you need to start somewhere. So we basically decided that the, the point where it's interesting is uh, this conceptual muscle skeletal approach. So basically, if you do the standard robotics where you have motors in the joints, so every, every joint basically has one motor more or less. Um, but this is not how our body works, right? And we have a, we have a mess of muscles, um, and muscles interact with not just one joint, but sometimes two. And it's also super, um, basically the, the force you have to lift this way is very different than the force you have to lift this way. So it's not, it's super anisotropic. And that's, that's, that's also something that's really interesting, uh, because we really are designed to interact with the space in front of us, everything we've done like that. And that's basically the idea of, of, of musculoskeletal robotics to say, okay, how can we take robotics one step closer to biology uh, to learn and build things that are hopefully better robotics eventually and better right. robotic bodies and avatars. And so basically, can you walk us through the, uh, the idea of you know, how are you uh, injecting, you know, like, let's say, Raphael 2.0? <laughs> how will uh, AI, I imagine, use uh, the information that's available uh, or will be available to merge the, the robot with, uh, I guess, the personality of the person, I imagine? Yeah, so that's a, that's a very good question, right? Because it's sort of we've been working on the body side and then there's clearly the, the, the brain side, the, the person side, the compute side. And when I was thinking like, how can we, can I, can we get there? There was a choice. I had a choice to make, make, and I looked at the brain side and we've been part of the human brain projects also for a while. 
and then realized we actually don't understand as humanity um, what it takes to record and then simulate a, a person. Like we don't know at which level do we actually need to record a, a not just brain, like because right, we are a lot more than our brains. We are like our whole body. We have neurons in your stomach, and so on. So it's so really the fundam This is a fundamentally unsolved question, and then that's also why we I do robotic bodies because whoever sort of uh, locks in onto the right part of the of the of the the brain question will need bodies eventually, and we think there's a lot more a lot easier to access commercial opportunities on the robotic side. Um, so to answer the question, like, how do I mention the connection? I think at the end of the day, um, to, from my current understanding, it will probably be some sort of destructive scan. Basically you will have to, um, lock in the brain in place or the body, um, and then, um, scan it layer by layer and then recreate the simulation of that. And then we need to very well understand how our brains map uh, our current sensory inputs. Uh, we will have to recreate them in the robotic body. We need to transfer this data. Um, we will have all sorts of physical limitations right now. Uh, for example, latency is an issue, right? There's also physical limitations to latency, um, which I think will not be so much of a problem because our body is like everything in our body is relatively slow. If you if you look at the at the sort of the speed of information transfer in the body. So I think that will be doable. So I think the way it will be, basically the very full body scan of the body, it will be recreated digitally and then have a, like a very, very high bandwidth real-time connection to the robotic avatar. That, and that will be the very interesting part. Like the, the body image will need to fit very closely to the existing um, body image that we have, or we will have to find some kind of transfer function. Um, and this is, of course, this is this is probably also very interesting to understand. Like, how do we transfer, um, and to make it sure it's if it feels natural to us to have this robotic body right. and and have the senses the right place and so on. Yeah, I didn't realize that you were actually going to use scans of the brain and whatnot to uh, to to achieve this. I was thinking more of the lines of, you know, taking all the social media videos, pictures, uh, patterns of movement like even just this podcast i suppose and uh using ai to inject that into into the into the robotics i imagine it's all of it right yeah it's it's actually so so i've been recently thinking a bit more about this um after a discussion with Joshua bach uh, because he was arguing if you create an ai that um, has continuity so it feels that, that for, from the ego perspective of this ai it basically feels like this was me all along, uh, that this would be uh, sufficient in a, um, for to recreate the person in a, in a faithful enough um, state. And by now, I kind of agree. Potentially, this could be the case, um, that this it will create a new entity, of course, and this new entity will, from its own perspective, think it's me. Um, and I will still, so the, the current meet me will still have to die, but this will, this will happen anyway. Um, so I, I, I tend to think more about in this direction that it might be possible. However, that being said, I think the 
it's very hard to sort of just from the output um, project uh, the sort of the, the 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 original state behind it. Because if you compare, the, even if you have terabytes of data uh, or, or and and hundreds of hours of recording of a person. I would think it's still pretty hard because the brains are really, really big. And of course, yes, a lot of it is, is sort of boilerplate uh, data processing. And But still, I think to get to the point where this entity faithfully really feels, okay, that was me and, it's, it's, and it has this continuity, I think that will be a, a, a hard, it's a very hard challenge. But it might even be easier than to do an actual faithful scan and then um, it, it's pretty. I'm pretty certain it's easier to do the to do this than to do the Facebook scan. Okay. Um, I mean, I have so many questions. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I'm sure all our listeners as well have that same problem. Um, so, so walk me through this thing. I mean, you 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 die as a person, and you're able to, I guess, ahead of time buy a robot, get scanned. Uh, you're gonna have some type of subscription service, I guess, that has to be paid, maybe in advance maybe by your uh, uh, relatives, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and uh, so this robot, does it take on a legal identity? In other words, you know, you're a 1.0 and here you, here you come, uh, you know, Mario 2.0, I'm the robot, I look identical. Uh, well, two questions. One is, will people be able to tell the difference? Uh, maybe initially, but as it develops, maybe not. And two, does that robot re regain its identity, legal identity, or is it a new identity, right? So let's say the robot goes out and, I don't know, stabs somebody. <laughs> what, 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 what would happen? And can you prevent those type of things? I mean, it's very similar to, you know, driving a, a Tesla without, you know, using a steering wheel, right? Yeah. So, you know? so absolutely. I think, I mean, sort of in the, as long as I only have one copy of myself running, I think it's easy because uh, to answer, because there's basically one entity uh, and then we and despite the fact that it is being like sort of the the, the the AI processing happens in one part and the body is somewhere at another place like still this unity of these two things together are a independently act independent actor in the world and you could relatively easily say this is in some form a continuation so basically the, the I think it's actually as long as there's only one copy in the in the real world. Uh, I think it's a relatively straightforward to answer because even though it is like split physically, you have like one sort of body maybe at one place, and you have a, a simulated location where the brain sits. Uh, it's still like one entity, and you can police this one entity. I think it gets really interesting like once the once you start making several instances of the same copy, right? I could just like take myself, run myself again on the cluster and have it give it another body. And then if one of those entities does something illegal, uh, what does this mean, mean for the others? Because that's a, <laughs> I think that's really interesting to ask because in, in one way you could say, well, these are two different persons, you know, like legally and entity wise. Um, but both have the potential to and would likely, given the the, the, the makeup of their identity, act act wrongly in this situation or situation or, or socially unacceptable. And I think that's a, that's a, that's what I don't know the answer, right? This is something when once we get there, sure. this will be one of the very interesting things you have to we'll have to discuss. Uh, also about ownership, like uh, so, 
is if there is still some kind of ownership of things, does it, the transitioned entity own the things that the previous entity had? Is it like, a, this would probably make sense, but again, like if you make copies of that, if it exists twice, do they share or what's the setup for this? So I think once you start making copies of yourself and uh, you have more than one entity in the world and potentially also reintegrating experience from, from, from different entities and refusing these kind of things, they can get very, very messy, but this will be very interesting. Right. Well, it's, so it's, it's, it's these really are problems I would love to have. <laughs> sure. So, so, so I guess uh, every time you answer a question, I, I, I literally have five more, uh, you know, questions. Uh, so let's say Einstein, you know, you have a person that has an IQ of whatever, 160, 80. And, uh, and wouldn't you want to populate earth with as many smart people as, as possible in other words you know like what what how how will that work i mean i've never even thought about this this is you know on the fly you know how what what would you let's say you have a country and you you know you get and you finance uh you know a person that's super smart or maybe a thousand of them and all of a sudden you you copy you know a million smart people you know is that how is what is that going to look like and what is that gonna uh how that how is that going to affect you know, uh, the global ecosystem of countries, right? Um, and, uh, you know, do you have any thoughts about that? I think, I mean, in very, to a very, the question is, will we have countries by that point? I mean, that's, a, but assuming we still have something like, uh, like these kind of groups of people that together form some kind of uh, entity that might fight or, 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 be at, at least in opposition to an other group of entities. Um, of course, there's a risk if you if you if one of the entities starts to multiply their agents. Um, I think trying to multiply the same agent um, is probably not a good strategy uh, because if you think about reality as a, as a big fitness landscape, um, what any can we have a very very fit. Um, person like she's in, intelligent and works very well in the current system. Uh, what you do if you sort of sample more and more in this in this sort of valley of current fitness, uh, you get very brittle uh, versus the changes in this fitness landscape. Say I don't know, you make people that are super smart, but they only work as long as the global temperature, uh, the local temperature is between twenty five and thirty two degrees. And then you have an asteroid impact and then the, 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 the global temperature drops to below 25 degrees. Well, you just evaporated the country. So, so I think it, there's, that's, that's, a, that's an, also an argument to be made in general for, for diversity, to really make sure that you keep diverse setup of entities uh, that are very different and that sample the global space as, in a diverse way. Um, a, because it's more interesting, two, because it's more resilient. Um, so I think that's really something you'd want to be doing. Um, and of course, at the end of the day, the main resource constraints will be the usage of resources by these embodiments. And plus, and of course, the energy. Um, but I'm pretty sure by the time we have that, we have solved fusion. It's, I mean, fusion might be 50 years in the future, but this is definitely more. Um, yeah. Okay, well, uh, you know, besides, you know, the, the, the things that I can think of, like, you know, how to reduce human error, uh, increase safety, uh, you know, uh, integration in society and all this kind of thing, 
I think the big question that everybody has on their mind right now is, you know, uh, where's the kill switch? <laughs> you know, are these guys going to take us over the ones that are normal or, you know, the, the 1.0 version, you know, what, what thoughts do you have uh, above that? I always loved like the, the way that data was integrated, um, into their local society in uh, Star Trek. And I think, again, that's an argument for diversity. I think there should not be a kind of entity that tries to take over what is already existing. I think generally it's much more efficient to find a balance with and find and find a, a, an economic niche for new entities to thrive in and then see where the interaction between existing biological humans and these new non-biological, whatever you want to call them, uh, works best. And even if they think 10,000 times faster or something like that, I still think that should not be ground for, 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 for concern. Like I would, I would want to set this up in a way that this stays a balance between the two and basically okay. make sure that, that and I think the problem is as long as we don't have a resource constraint, basically the, the, the problem always starts with once there's resource constraints, right? And then you need to think about where you allocate these resources. And I think the good thing is that these, that these virtual eight entities, they will have a different requirement in terms of resources. I mean, they mainly require energy for to, to handle the compute. And then you need to build bodies for it. Um, but even there, I think like the, the average amount of resources you require to build uh, a humanoid avatar form is orders of magnitude below what you need for an average human nowadays. And we're already pretty okay. good with like nine, eight billion humans on the planet. Right. So, um, you know, uh, so you, you're the founder and CEO of Devonthrow. And so the company is up and running. Uh, how long has it been in, in existence? And where are you guys in terms of developing this, uh, this robot? I see you have a robot behind you. I hope it's a little bigger than, or maybe I hope it's not, you know, it's the same size so I can squish it. <laughs> no, it's actually quite, it's just a small figurine that we built as a way of showing to people. And, uh, so yeah, we've been, uh, started in 2013, not as a company, as a, as a research project, I would say, um, we've been really in this kind of musculoskeletal, uh, area where we try to develop new generations of hardware. Uh, we try to, um, I think one thing that makes us a bit special, we've always tried to have our robots and prototypes out in the world and have people interact with them. And that's a nice thing about this musculoskeletal approach while it's much less, um, accurate than classical robotics is super robust, right? We, uh, you can, you can hug the robot, you can throw stuff at it and so on. It's, it's really, it's really robust. It doesn't break a lot. And that's make, and it's also quite safe because it's, um, compliant. Um, you know, if you have a, if you have a, if an industrial robot and you want to move it away, if it's off, well, you've got to move the whole robot away, but here ours, it behaves like a human body. You just push it away a little bit and so on. Um, and then now in 2020, basically we sort of started to go to towards the next step. So first step was, okay, how can we build musculoskeletal humanoid robots, uh, and maybe learn from the body. And now the question is given, I already have an entity in the brain, sort of my body, how can I connect it best, um, to the human body? 
So to really make it a communication tool, like uh, imagine you had a body somewhere else on the planet and instead of um, sort of having a, a video call, you could physically be in the same space. And physically, you could, you know, you could work on a, um, for example, imagine you would build a car together. Uh, like it's really hard if one of the one of the people is in a video call, but if the other is, um, if you both together in the same space, you can really talk, point to things, and talk about things. And we okay, let's remove this here, and and sort of that's sort of the next step that we're building on. And we currently started to to work towards a commercial version of those robotics, um, what you call them, so robotic bodies instead of robotic bots, because we're really more interested in the in the body part. Um, where we think this will have a major impact in elderly care. Because if you look at the current, especially here in, in, in Central Europe, but also in the US and China, um, there's a huge problem of caregivers. Uh, people don't want to go into homes, uh, care homes. They want to stay at home. Uh, but uh, the caregivers, basically, they, they, they spend 50% or more on travel. So what if they could sort of just, instead of traveling from, from personally, from, what if they could teleport between them? <laughs> that would be that's sort of where we're currently heading, right? So we're building this system where a, a, a nurse or a, a caregiver can care for many different patients at the same time because they are jumping between the people in need of care and basically don't have zero travel time. And that also is great for the person in need of care because they will have care when they need it. I feel nowadays it's more like, uh, like you need care. Okay, so a person comes 10 o'clock every day for five minutes and then they're gone. But right. what if you have problems uh, two hours later? Well, tough luck. So I think that's right. the, that's sort of where this technology and adds a lot of value and it also really fits nicely sort of into the overall strategy um, saying we go from robotic bodies that imitate the human body to collecting the brain studies or the, with its currently best, best way that we can do it. Um, and then as a next step, um, well, we have to make this big first and then we'll see, but then sort of it would really develop further towards making the robotic bodies more bioplausible and also improve the connection and so on. And then at some time probably also goes towards how can we make the connection between the robotic bodies and the currently existing entities more, more immediate and imminent and this probably then goes towards brain computer interfaces. Okay. So you basically already have working copies of these ro ro robotic bodies, yes? Yeah, we have a working, uh, physical working prototype um, that we have in the current lab. We also show it quite often and let people try it out. And we're currently designing the next generation that is much more product oriented. Because so far it was very research oriented. We we're just following curiosity, but now we try to, okay, how can we make it cheaper? How can we make it more industrializable? How can we make it in accordance with the requirements that you have if you build a physical, an actual product? Okay. Versus Amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I didn't even realize that <laughs> we had that. So, uh, you know, again, I am thinking of questions on the fly here. So I'm familiar with Boston Robotics and, uh, you know, the little creatures and all this kind of stuff. So how would you, do you, how would you, I guess, how would you compare yourself to them? And do you draw upon any of the, experience or knowledge that they have or is that a com is that a competitor and you're not gonna you know how, how, how does that work so i think boston dynamics is the one company on the planet that has 
really focusedly over now I think it's more than 30 years pushed the envelope of what um, robot interaction with the environment could could be at its best. So they, they, they built the most capable walking robots. Uh, they built the most capable humanoids. Uh, they didn't care for is this biologically plausible or, or, or similar, except for the form factor. Um, but really, like, what can we use to, to get this dynamics that we see from the human body, given the technology that we have? And uh, of course, this leads to absolutely stunning and amazing results. Um, and then, and of course, I, I love these videos just as well. Um, are they a competitor? I think they're not really a competitor because we are really now focusing on, on this idea of you have a body that you transfer. So a lot of our technology is much more about how do we show to the, on the other side that, that this is you and not someone else? Um, how do we make it intuitive? How can you, like, if you, if you grasp a, a, a bottle with your, with your hands, how do we make this intuitively so that if you, the robot does it on the, on the other side as well? So there's a lot of these kind of issues that are not relevant for, for Boston Dynamics right now because they try to build autonomous systems. I just think autonomy in unstructured environments is very, very far off. I, I think this okay. is... What we see, like what Boston Dynamics shows, and, and also others in the, in this uh, in the quadruped space, is we have we basically we can now have walking robots in quite unstructured environments, in in a very robust fashion. But this is it's a very if you think about walking and as complex as it is, it's at the end it's a very simple thing, right? It's basically going from so the cognitive effect of walking is going from A to B, it's just using a different means, but, but mm -hmm. uh, like understanding something like uh, empty the trash is a super complex motions. And then you, know, you need to know what a trash is, where it is, you need to find it. You need every trash looks different, right? In every house. So, so, and this aspect is very, it's still very, very underdeveloped in robotics because yeah, it's, it's very hard. It's a lot harder. I think that everyone thought of this. And that's also one of the reasons we think let's let's connect people to robotic bodies and get the travel out because there's like 50 percent of a of, of a time gain to be made and then we worry about automating this and this this later i think that's a better strategy okay. than to try to automate first okay. so the next thing that i'm thinking about is elon musk and uh, the brain implants right can you can yeah. you speak a little bit about that and whether you would you know would uh, use that or if that's uh, something that, uh, you know, you're planning on using? I mean, it's of course very, very interesting. This idea of um, being capable of reading the brain and, and, and have a much faster interface between your brain and your, and, the, and, and any, any external entity. Right now, right now our interfaces sort of, the input uh, with vision and uh, audio and, so, and, and sensing um, is quite it's quite high bandwidth. Although, if you look into data, data information processing, like the amount of information that you can actually process is not so much anymore. Um, and the output is very limited. Like we can either speak uh, or we can write, and all of that is super slow if you think about it. So, if so, the way of having a more integrate, like thinking about having a more integrated fashion of, of getting information in and out of a body, of course, is very, very interesting. Um, will I try it? Uh, probably, I 
really want to see that this um, is safe uh, because you know it's uh, interact it goes into the brain and that's that's also what makes it really really hard like showing that it's long term safe um, viable it's also like it's it's at the end of the day it's still very localized there's still relatively low resolution uh, even okay. if you have a thousand electrodes or a hundred thousand electrodes i mean you have uh several billion neurons um in your body so uh, in your brain um so i think 100 billion neurons so, so like this is still far far away from from having a high bandwidth connection but if we get there of course it's very interesting right well I, you know in in the in the call it it space far far away sometimes it's only 10 years right uh, it's you know it's 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 amazing how quickly we have developed from rotary phones to where we are now right um so what, another question that just popped into my head well actually uh, popped into my head as soon as, as as i knew you were coming on was the question of soul and consciousness right you know it's, what are your thoughts about about that so uh, the question of like what is soul um if you think about soul as a a, a part of your entity that transcends your body in a way and it's sort of non-accessible to the physical realm i have a hard time imagining this because if you look at for example at people that have frontal cortex damage their character changes entirely so it's pretty clear that our behavior is physically grounded in our body so this, so this kind of a soul concept I go this from the other direction. Assume it, 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 given what we know, assume there a soul exists. Assume, think we have a soul uh, that has this kind of properties that we think it's, it's detached from the body and it stores some kind of essence. Um, if it does not create a, a form of a continuity for the, for the next entity that this soul is being inhabited, and I, mean, I don't know anyone that has like, yeah, I've lived 200 years ago and I have all the memories from them. Um, I think it's not an interesting concept. So there might or might not be a soul, but the way sort of what is left for this kind of unknown soul concept, uh, it does not create an interesting feature. You know, mm -hmm. if, you, if you know what I mean. Yep. No, that uh, and in terms of it's amazing. And in terms of uh, just in this in this space and. Uh, you know, you have so many different, you know, the religious side of it, you have, you know, uh, again, what is consciousness, what is soul, uh, legal applications. I mean, there's a million ways to look at this. And I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated with the copy, you know, like I could, you know, copy myself, I don't know, 10 times over and just hang out with myself. I don't know if I want that, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's a crazy idea. I, I think it's fascinating. Um, so where do you see your company uh, let's say 10 years from now, do you think in 10 years, there's going to be, you know, uh, like, like, you know, a, a you know, an ability to buy something or something similar, or like, you know, where, where are we in terms of, uh, you know, the timeline, so to speak? Yeah, I think <clears throat> for the foreseeable future, we will be really focusing on the use case. So I hope in, in 10 years, there will be millions of people on this planet that can age uh, a lot less lonely than they do now and care well cared because we have this teleportation skill uh, for humanity where caregivers and also relatives can basically have 
visit and care for each other much, much easier and super, super intuitively. And I think if we get there, um, that would be amazing. Because I think one important aspect of this whole idea of uh, uh, trying to live indefinitely is, of course, if you, if you assume that you're going to live in two or 400 years, well, you also, we also better have a society that's worth living in. So I'm super passionate about what can we build that, that really makes the world a better place and that helps and that, that brings society forward and then ensures that basically we have a, a positive and, and enjoyable future. Because, I mean, I, imagine the next 400 years are like, 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 like World War III. I mean, who would want to live in that? No one. So really thinking about it, what can we do? What can we build with this company to make the world, the world a more positive place? I think that's really the goal. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastically uh, curious question. And right away, when you were talking about having a better future, uh, that's the optimistic side. And I love it. And I think it's amazing that it would. And then, of course, right, right away in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, but there's always going to be this one guy <laughs> that's going to, you know, the, the, the quadrillionaire guy that's going to, you know, build an army and use it for evil purposes, right? So I guess those questions you can't solve now. Uh, you know, it's, I guess, uh, kind of like opening up a can of worms uh, at some point and has to be addressed uh, in, in some way that I don't even want to start to understand. Um, you're talking about teleporting. So, um you know, the concept of a robot and living and all that. I mean, I kind of can wrap my head around that. But teleporting is something that, I mean, you mentioned it a couple of times. And I was going to ask you, um, how do you see, is it going to be easier to teleport because this is a, 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 a not a human version? Or like, how, how do you see that? Or is it just like something that's 100 years away? So, I mean, it depends what we mean. If you mean like actual physical teleportation of the entity, so like local scanning and destruction and recreation of a different place, I think we are probably safe a few thousand years away from that if it's even physically possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. so, yeah, I think, I mean, I would love, that's, that's like one of the goals, right? Like if it could live indefinitely, I would definitely get to see that and see, ah, this is actually possible. This is so amazing. Um, and that's what I, what I would, like this is one of the most part of the motivation, right? To to, be, to all see all these technologies that science fiction has been promising and and what it does for society and how this, yeah, what we can learn about about reality. So what I think like the feasible way of teleportation is really having, um, like bodies, robotic bodies at different locations on the planet, and then you being able to embody them off over distance, basically make it your avatar, like in the movie Avatar, which you like put on it. Um, yep. and then all your experience is basically from the perspective of this local embodied self. So for all intents and purposes to you, it feels like you teleported. Um, and of course the question will be how, like one big question is really how, how do you build these systems so that from the perspective of the person interacting with you through this throw body, they are, oh yeah, this is clearly Mario or this is clearly Raphael. I know this, like it's, and it also feels like, 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 like Mario's here. It doesn't feel like we're in two different spaces. We have this feeling of imminence and, and, and togetherness. And that's like, it's a really interesting question, I think, um, how we can achieve that. And then of course it has a lot to do with design. It has a lot to do with, I think fashion actually, um, yep. a lot to do with 
of course tons of technology like what how can we overcome the the technical hurdles but also um the some physical hurdles potentially using the, the the malleability of our brains like there's a lot of ways to trick the brains into believing certain things and if you do it the right th the right way you might feel totally immersed although you actually may you might not have we, we might not actually stimulate the whole skin but we the way we are like creating visual stimuli this creates the illusion that someone touched you at some certain spot or something like that yeah I'm, i mean i'm i'm fascinated by this topic uh we're kind of getting to the to the uh end of our our podcast you know i would i would love to have you on every six months or even once a year and uh you know, update uh, everybody on uh, what you guys have achieved because, uh, again, I, I'm I'm blown away that uh, that that technology even exists. Uh, it's very sci-fi, and uh, you know, it will be uh, really cool to talk to you. You know, a couple times a year, that kind of thing. Uh, if you're willing to come on the podcast again, absolutely. Yeah, no, I I, mean, I love talking about these 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 things, and I also love being challenged on these things and have like, okay, but uh, what do you do? What do we really do about the, the billionaire problem that goes crazier, but now lives indefinitely and tries to like, how do we actually go about this problem? And I think there's there, it is a problem where we need to think about it. Uh, it's of course not very imminent, but nonetheless, I mean, it's something we probably want to <laughs> prevent of happening before it happens. Well, maybe people can vote, you know, it's kind of like the whole, uh, all of humanity can vote on people that can, you know, like there's different levels and you have a probation period. I, I don't know. We, <laughs> I mean, I'm just, that's, I'm just that's, a very interesting, that's a very interesting approach to say like, okay, so you can do whatever you want, but there's always the option that uh, there's sort of a referendum uh, where you can get voted out of existence. Right. <laughs> very Amazing. So, so the, right. the, the little, ro the little robot behind you, is that yeah. is that an actual copy of what you guys have? Uh, can can you show our viewers and put it to the camera right behind you? Uh, it's basically just a, an optical copy. Um, so it's a small posable figurine that uh, that we built, just as a way. It's really, I mean, it makes really cute photos. You just put it at somewhere, and that's a, it's a nice sort of um, photo awesome. thing. Uh, it's not it's not <laughs> active. It's totally passive. Sure, absolutely. So Rafael, tell our viewers where they can find you and. Uh, and your company name again? Yeah, uh, so you can find us uh, on devantra.com. Of course, uh, social media, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, of course, we're looking forward to all sorts of, of inputs. Uh, we're currently also fundraising to bring the whole um, care question and care approach um, to life. And I think it's a very important um, solution because we I don't see good other solutions that work with the constraints we're having in terms of like declining population and so on. Right. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Raphael. Thank you. And we'll, 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 we'll see you soon. Thank you very much for having us. It was a great conversation. Yeah.